0: Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. And welcome to the second part of our discussion of the Eighth Commandment, which is, Thou shalt not bear false witness. So in our last episode, we talked about how awesome the truth is. And then today we're going to look at all of the ways that we can sin against the truth. Now, at the outset, I just want to remind us all of something that we said at the very beginning of this section on the Ten Commandments. So in this episode, we're going to be talking a lot about sin. And it can start to sound like we're really focusing on the negative and talking a lot about what not to do, right? Now, in episode 33, we talked about how if I were to walk into a dark room that was full of furniture, I would need to kind of feel my way around, right? I would need to figure out where all the walls and the furniture are so that I don't trip over and injure myself, right? So I can navigate my way through this darkened room. And that's exactly what we're doing when we kind of list off a bunch of sins. That's us navigating our way around, right? Figuring out where the boundaries are, where the limitations are. Not because we want to be negative Nancys, but because we want to be able to be free to love God and to seek him joyfully. So... We're going to begin with the most obvious sin against the truth, which is lying. Okay, point 2483 of the Catechism says that lying is the most direct offense against the truth. And that makes sense, right? Like a a lie is a straight up denial of truth. Now, why is lying morally wrong? as opposed to just kind of being socially impractical. Why is lying wrong? I think it's easy to see how some lies are bad, especially the big ones. Like if someone asked me if I stole $100 from their wallet and I said, nope, I didn't, and I did. Well, okay, obviously there's a problem there. And if we're all getting around lying in big ways about things like that, then we get into a situation where we can't really trust each other and we can't really function as a society. Okay, so big lies, they're kind of obviously bad, but what about little lies? What about those situations when you're at a dinner party Party, and someone asks you if you've ever seen Hamilton, and you say yes, even though you've never seen it because you just want to keep the conversation moving. Or someone asks you if you like their new haircut, and you say, Yeah, I love it, even though you think that a mullet on a man is an abomination and it makes you look like David Bowie from Labyrinth. Okay, sometimes those little white lies, those little social lies that we tell, they can actually seem kind of useful or convenient, right? Or even charitable, like they're ways of keeping the peace and making other people feel happy. So, what's wrong with those lies? Well, the Catechism offers us a useful kind of summary in point 2483. It says, by injuring man's relation to truth and to his neighbour, a lie offends against the fundamental relation of man and of his word to the Lord. Okay, that's a bit wordy. So, what does it mean? What's the Catechism saying? Basically, the church is saying that truth, the truth, Is crucial to our connection with God. We need the truth if we want to be connected to God. So think of it like this if God is truth itself, he is the source and the the fullness of the truth, then everything that is true. Right? All those little truths in our lives, they're all like these little sort of threads that come from him and lead us back to him. And whenever we pursue truth, it's like we grab onto one of those threads and we hold onto it and we become more firmly tethered to God. And then the more that we pursue the truth in you know various areas of our lives, the more threads we kind of hold onto and the more we kind of become anchored in God, tethered to him. And then by extension, when we share the truth with others, when we tell the truth to the people around us, those threads then start to connect us to each other as well. We become able to trust each other more. We can love each other better. We get to know each other better and more truly. We lead each other to God. And then every time we tell a lie or deny the truth, it's like we snip one of those little threads between us and we become slightly less connected, slightly less loving, less less honest. Lies weaken the bonds between us and between us and God. So even when we tell just a little lie, even when someone doesn't even notice it, right, those little lies are putting tiny fissures into the foundations of our relationships with others. And when we deny the truth often enough by telling lots of little lies – Or when we deny it in a really big way by telling a really big lie, we can end up breaking that connection altogether. It's like in Jane Eyre, the cord of communion between us would snap and we can become separated from each other and from God. So that's why truth and telling the truth is so important, even just in the littlest ways. Now, obviously, not every lie is equally serious. So point 2484 says that the gravity of a lie is measured against the nature of the truth that it deforms, the circumstances, the intentions of the one who lies, and the harm suffered by its victims. A lie becomes a mortal sin when it does grave injury to the virtues of justice and charity. So in other words, those little social lies at a dinner party, they would be more like a venial sin, right? But if I were to say, for instance, lie you know, in a murder trial or publicly denounce God and then through that lead other people away from him, okay, that's the kind of lie that could be a mortal sin, a really serious sin. But whether it's a mortal sin or a venial sin, lying is never a good thing. Point 2485 of the Catechism says that by its very nature lying is to be condemned, because it's a denial of the truth, which is ultimately a denial of God. It is a profanation of speech and a failure in justice and charity. Now, we might hear that and sort of think, well, hang on surely lying isn't always wrong. Like, I mean, what if I tell a lie that is aimed at helping someone or protecting them? So the classic example is like, what if someone comes to my door and they're carrying a gun and they ask if my friend Bob is at home? And I know that, yes, Bob's at home. But if I say yes, then this guy with a gun is going to murder my friend Bob. Okay. What do I do in that situation? Can I lie to save Bob's life? Poor old Bob. Well, a couple of things. First of all, There is a difference between actively lying to someone and simply withholding the truth. Those are two different things. Point 2488 says that the right to the communication of the truth is not unconditional. In concrete situations, we have to judge whether or not it is appropriate to reveal the truth to someone who asks for it. The good and safety of others, respect for privacy and the common good, are sufficient reasons for being silent about what ought not be known or for making use of a discreet language. No one is bound to reveal the truth to someone who does not have the right to know it. So that's a pretty hefty quote, but the thing that I want to kind of zero in on is that last line. You don't have to reveal the truth to someone who doesn't have the right to know it. So that person on your doorstep with a gun doesn't have the right to know the truth if they're going to use it to kill Bob, okay? Keeping secrets is fine if it's in the name of legitimate justice. So in a situation like that, what could you do? Well, you could refuse to answer that person's question. You could tell them to leave your property. You could even give them an evasive answer that isn't technically lying, but is still going to save Bob. So you could say, oh, you know, I haven't seen him in ages, meaning that you haven't seen him in the last hour or so, even though you do technically know that he's hiding in in the basement. So there are ways of withholding the truth from someone who doesn't have the right to know it without outright lying. Having said that, if we're going to be completely realistic, in an extreme situation like this, probably most of us would tell a lie. Like if someone is on your doorstep with a gun and he's like, where's Bob? You're probably going to be like, oh, I don't know. He's not here. I saw him running that way. Okay. And this leads us to our second point, which is something that we've said many times before, that in order to be culpable for a sin, we need to commit that sin with full knowledge and full consent. So in a situation where someone's pointing a gun at you, there is an element of coercion and threat and shock and fear that would probably lessen your culpability if you did spontaneously tell a lie. And there are actually some people who talk about the idea of a necessary lie, that in an extreme situation like that, a lie might not be a good thing, but it might be necessary. There was a recent episode of Pints with Aquinas featuring Peter Kreeft, where they discussed this question. So that might be a good one to check out if you want to think about this more. Now, having gone through all of this, it's good to remind ourselves that in our everyday lives, most of us are probably not going to be faced with an extreme situation like this. And it's very easy to get tied up in these kind of hypothetical questions and forget that, okay, generally speaking, in our everyday life, when I tell a lie, I'm not doing it to save someone's life. I'm doing it to save an awkward social situation or, you know, to gain some small advantage for myself. And in those situations, we have to come back to that quote from John chapter eight that we talked about in the last episode. The truth will set you free. We have to believe that deeply. Wherever possible, we need to remain on the side of the truth. Okay, so lying is the most direct offense against truth. So let's move on and talk about some other situations where we might sin against the truth. The Catechism talks about something called perjury or false witness, which basically means lying in a public official situation, particularly if you're under oath. So point 2476 says that, Acts such as these contribute to the condemnation of the innocent, the exoneration of the guilty, or the increased punishment of the accused. They gravely compromise the exercise of justice and the fairness of judicial decisions. And we can see how a public lie, especially under oath, really undermines justice on a much more significant scale than a private lie does. Now, one objection we might have here is, well, what if I give false witness for the sake of justice, right? So say I tell a lie in a murder trial and I give someone a false alibi, but I'm only doing it because I know for certain I'm convinced that that person did not commit the crime and I want to help them out. Surely in that situation, I'm contributing to the exoneration of the innocent and not the guilty. Well, the catechism makes the following point in point 2486. It says, lying is destructive of society. It undermines trust among men and tears apart the fabric of social relationships. So that's some pretty strong words there. But basically what the catechism is saying is that the truth really, 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 really matters. And it always matters, even if my intention is good, even if I'm trying to do the right thing. And in that situation, okay, yeah, I'm trying to achieve justice. I'm trying to free someone who's innocent. But ultimately, I'm undermining the fairness of the whole judicial system, and that's serious. If that person is truly innocent, we need to do everything that we can to help them, but that doesn't extend to committing serious sin. Okay, the ends don't justify the means. Now, apart from sort of straightforwardly lying, there are some other ways that we can neglect or offend against the truth. Point 2477 gives a few examples, and they include rash judgment which means assuming that someone is in the wrong without sufficient foundation. So kind of like having a knee-jerk reaction to someone. And this one is so easy to do, right? Like it happens all the time. Like like someone you live with uses your favorite Tupperware container and you immediately think, oh my gosh, like she totally knew that she was doing that. She knew it was mine. She's doing it to annoy me. Or someone sends you a text message and they put a full stop at the end of their sentence and you're like, oh my gosh, she's being so passive aggressive. She hates me. <laughs> it's so easy to do to just immediately assume that someone's intention is bad or that they're trying to do the wrong thing or trying to hurt you. Now, why is rash judgment a sin against the truth? Well, because more often than not, our judgments are not true. (laughs) I know this for myself. Just about every single time I've judged someone else, I've either been completely incorrect or at the very least, I've been exaggerating their faults. So point 2478 says, to avoid rash judgment, everyone should be careful to interpret insofar as possible his neighbor's thoughts, words, and deeds in a favorable way. So rather than just jumping to that person sucks and they're doing it on purpose, try to find a positive reason why they might be behaving in that way. So, you know, maybe your housemate genuinely didn't know that it was your Tupperware container, or maybe that person put a full stop at the end of their text message because they just are really enthusiastic about punctuation and it has nothing to do with you. Now, we might hear this and think, okay, but surely it's a little bit naive or kind of like wishful thinking to just always assume that people mean well. Sometimes they really do mean badly or they really are doing the wrong thing. And we actually need to acknowledge that. OK, well, in response to that, we have to clarify here No one is saying that you need to put blinkers on, right, and be blind to other people's faults and sort of, you know, get around sprinkling pixie dust everywhere and pretending that everyone is a perfect person. No, obviously we have to be realistic. But let's think about it. When I try to interpret someone's actions in the best way possible, what I'm ultimately doing is I'm keeping my mind open to the truth and to charity, right? I'm acknowledging that I don't know the full story, and I'm reminding myself that there might be another explanation for what's going on. If it turns out that that person really is doing the wrong thing or they really hate you, okay, well, have got to deal with that. But what we have to avoid is just jumping immediately to the worst case scenario. So there's this quote from St. Ignatius of Loyola. Very difficult word to say. I dare you to pause this and try to say Loyola. <laughs> anyway, this is quote. I'm not going to read the whole thing out word for word because it's really long. But basically, in summary, he says that If it becomes clear that someone is actually in the wrong and I can't interpret their actions in a positive light, the next thing I need to do is to try to step into their shoes and understand why they're acting in that way and then try to help them to do better if I can. In other words, I need to use empathy. So if my friend is being passive aggressive with me, okay, why? <laughs> maybe she's having a really bad day. Maybe her grandparent has just died or maybe, maybe she's just never learned how to communicate her needs and so she just resorts to passive aggression. And that's the point where I can actually help my friends. Instead of judging them or gossiping about them or getting angry, I can then enter into that struggle with them and open up a conversation. You maybe correct them if they're wrong or be empathetic or talk through the issue with them. And this leads us to another sin against the truth, which is detraction. Detraction is what usually follows from rash judgment. And it refers to basically gossiping about other people's faults. So point 2477 defines detraction as disclosing someone's faults and failings to another person who didn't know about them without an objectively valid reason. So even when the information that I have is true even when someone has legitimately done something wrong, that doesn't necessarily give me the right to share that information with whomever I like. I actually need to have a legitimate reason to share that information. So, I think this is something that's really important for us to kind of get our heads around, because we see it happening all the time, especially today with social media. We see detraction, not just in private conversation, one-on-one with other people, but on public platforms, right? Like when someone has, I mean, maybe they've genuinely done the wrong thing, maybe they've abused someone or they're a bully, or they've said something really racist, or they might hold an opinion that we think is really wrong. But then that information gets publicly shared with other people who don't need to know about it. Now, we have to be really clear that information like this often does have to be shared with certain people. So if someone is bullying or intimidating other people in the workplace, that needs to go to HR, right? You need to take that to your manager. Or if someone is an abuser, that information needs to go to the relevant authorities. Action has to be taken. So no one is suggesting for a second that wrongdoing should be covered up. But... Here we have to return to the idea that information should only be shared for an objectively valid reason. It doesn't have to be shared with everyone. So let's say, for instance, that I work in an office and someone on another team whom I don't know gets fired from their job. And then another person from my team comes up to me at lunch and is like, oh my gosh, did you hear what happened in marketing? You know, Trent got fired because he sent this really mean text message to Tracy. Okay. Why do I need to know about that? What good does it do for me to know about Trent and Tracy's workplace conflict? All that does is it makes me angry. Like I'm now having negative, uncharitable thoughts about Trent, whom I don't even know and will never talk to. And it's a complete waste of energy and my brain space. Detraction increases disunity between people and it undermines charity. Now, in some situations, we might think that we're sort of enacting some kind of justice by sharing information about other people's wrongdoing with others. It's kind of like a like a vigilante karma situation. We might think, well, this person has done something really bad and they deserve to be hated or socially isolated or called out because of what they did. But the Catechism actually puts this really strongly. It says in point 2479 that everyone has a natural right to the honor of his name and reputation and to respect. Honor is the social witness given to human dignity. Now, this can kind of be a difficult one to get our heads around because we might be like, well, hang on, what do you mean that everyone has a right to their good name? Like, what if they're a terrible person? If you've done something really bad, then you have sacrificed your right to a good reputation. Okay, let's step through it. Basically, what the Catechism is saying is something that we've said many times before that every single person has inherent dignity and worth because they are a human being regardless of how good or how bad a person they are they deserve to live a life of dignity and when we destroy someone's reputation by gossiping about them we actually undermine that dignity and that's different from you know genuine justice being served okay there there need to be consequences when someone has done the wrong thing but a person doesn't sacrifice their right to live a dignified existence because they've done the wrong thing. So, as an example, there's a book by Marilyn Robinson called Home. It is So good. Marilyn Robinson is so good, and you should read all of her books, beginning with Housekeeping, because that's the best one. Anyway, this book, Home, is about a guy called Jack, who is a bit of a ne'er do well, and he's come home. He's like the prodigal son, right? He's come home after a long time away to spend time with his dying father. Now, Jack has done some pretty dodgy things in his life, and he has struggled with a lot of vices, with alcoholism, with homelessness, but he's really, really trying to be a better person. Now, the problem is that by the time he arrives home, the whole town has been gossiping about him. Everyone knows everything about his past. So that means that wherever he goes in the town, people are judging him. Every time he goes into a shop, people watch him. No one wants to have him over for dinner. Every time he leaves the house, people assume he's going to the pub. So there's this bit where some money goes missing, it gets stolen, and the whole town is immediately like, oh, clearly Jack did it, right? And you notice two things. First of all, Jack is unable to live a dignified life. When you are being judged and watched and gossiped about constantly, then you're not being treated as an equal, and it's very difficult to live with dignity. And secondly, and this is really important, there is no room for Jack to become a better person. Jack is trying so hard to do better, but no one is giving him the space to change because they have all prejudged him. And this can be the problem. When we share someone's faults with people who don't need to know about them, we can end up closing the door to mercy. So there's this really great book by a guy called John Ronson. It's called So You've Been Publicly Shamed, and it goes through all the negative effects of public shaming. And I really recommend reading it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Now, the second thing to remember when it comes to this whole like detraction as a form of justice thing is that it's ultimately not my job to punish people. And sometimes when someone has hurt me or upset me, you know, I can just feel so angry, especially when it feels like no one is doing anything about it. And I might want to just take things into my own hands and get justice for myself. But as Christians, we believe that ultimately it's God's job to enact justice and it's not our job. We need to pray for that person. We need to try to seek the appropriate avenues of justice for sure, but we don't need to punish them by sharing information about them with, you know, our friends or with the whole world. So when it comes to sharing information about other people's wrongdoing, a really, really useful question that we can ask ourselves is, does this person need to know? Is this information that I need to share? Will it do good or will it just sow scandal and disunity? Sometimes people do need to know for their own safety or for justice sake, but not necessarily. And then we can also ask ourselves a similar question when it comes to receiving information from other people or from the media. We can ask ourselves, do I need to know about this? Do I need to know about the latest celebrity breakup or the private misdeeds of a public figure? And then the final question we can ask is, do I need to make a judgment about this? Because sometimes information is shared with us in the media about, you know, a court case or a crime or a breakup. And we have this sense that we need to form an opinion about it. We need to take a side or decide who's in the right or who in the wrong. But it's not always necessary for us to have an opinion. Sometimes I do need to have an opinion because it's an important issue that people are talking about. But many times I don't, or I don't have enough information to make an informed decision about who was right or who was wrong. And I can end up making those rash judgments. So, Does this person need to know, do I need to know, and do I need to have an opinion about this? Now, under the same kind of umbrella as detraction, the Catechism also talks about something called calumny, which is basically when you gossip and you share information about someone that actually isn't true. It's actually false, and it damages their reputation. So an example of this would be spreading an unsubstantiated rumor that turns out to be false. And this, again, this is such an easy one to fall into. And one way of knowing, one surefire way of knowing if I'm potentially spreading calumny is if I find myself beginning sentences about someone else with the word apparently, (laughs) especially if I go on to then say something negative about that person. So if I hear myself saying apparently this happened or apparently he's this kind of person, okay, ring-a-ding-ding, that's a really good chance that that's either detraction or calumny. Now, often gossip is just a venial sin, the kind of gossip that goes on in private between friends. Still not good, but a venial sin. However, if I were to damage a person's reputation significantly through a kind of public detraction, then that could actually fall into the category of a mortal sin. And this makes sense when we remember that when we destroy someone's good name, especially in a significant lasting way, we're actually attacking their human dignity at the deepest level. Okay, now moving on from gossip, another way that we can sin against the truth, according to point 2480 of the catechism, is by flattering or praising or encouraging someone who is doing the wrong thing. And the catechism refers to this as adulation. And we can kind of see how adulation, it's a kind of lie, right? Because we're praising someone for committing a sin. We're telling them that something is fine or even good when we know that it's not. So what might this look like tangibly? What might adulation look like? Well, say, for example, let's say that one of my friends is talking to me and she's saying something really nasty about someone else, but it's also kind of funny, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm laughing along with what she's saying. And when she sort of stops and says, sorry, I know I'm being really mean. I'm like, no, 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 this is hilarious. Seriously, keep going. This is like giving me life. Okay. In that moment, I'm encouraging that person to be uncharitable. Or let's say my friends have had too too many drinks on a Friday night. And the next day we all sit around laughing about how hilarious they were when they were drunk and going over all the funny things that they said. Okay, again, we're encouraging something that we know isn't right. And often, to be fair, we fall into this sin not because we actually want to encourage that person, but because we feel awkward and we're just trying to be nice or we're just too scared to challenge that person and so we just kind of laugh along. And that's when we, I mean, we need to be merciful with ourselves, but we also need to grow in the virtue of fortitude and courage. So the Catechism says that adulation is a venial sin when it only seeks to be agreeable, to avoid evil, to meet a need, or to obtain legitimate advantages. But if we were to become an accomplice in someone else's mortal sin, so if I'm encouraging them to do something seriously wrong then I might be culpable for a serious sin myself. It makes me think of, you know, Wormtail in Harry Potter, how he's always there, like right behind Voldemort encouraging him and his crimes. And you look at him and you're like, yeah, okay, sure. You're not specifically committing those crimes yourself, but there is a degree of culpability in the way that you're assisting Voldemort to do the wrong thing. Okay. Now, another sin against the truth is boasting or bragging. And I think that one's kind of obvious, right? When we boast or we brag, we're exaggerating and distorting the truth about ourselves. And then finally, we have disparaging someone by maliciously caricaturing some aspect of his behavior. So in other words, if I were to mock someone by isolating one of their defects and sort of blowing it out of proportion and turning them into a caricature. Now, to be clear, this is distinct from a kind of affectionate teasing that we all do, right? Well, we all know that we're exaggerating and we're just picking someone's, you know, foibles and we make a joke about them and it's almost like a big warm hug and it's just a form of humor. Okay. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about here is disparaging someone, right? Trying to genuinely convince other people that this person that I'm making fun of is an idiot or a loser, right? I'm reducing someone who is a complex human being, who's a mix of good and bad, as we all are, to an oversimplified and negative caricature. And that's, for obvious reasons, that's a sin against the truth. Now, point 2487 of the Catechism says that every offense committed against justice and truth entails the duty of reparation, when it is impossible publicly to make reparation for a wrong, it must be made secretly. If someone who has suffered harm cannot be directly compensated, he must be given moral satisfaction in the name of charity. So in other words, if I tell a lie or I gossip about someone else or I spread calumny about them, that's an offense against justice and charity, and I need to try to do something to make up for it, right? So that might involve, you know, an apology, It might mean asking for that person's forgiveness. It might mean, um, you know, doing some kind of appropriate penance. It could also mean that if I've spread rumors about someone, especially if they're untrue, I might need to go back to that person that I gossiped with and say to them, you know, look, that wasn't my information to share or what I said wasn't true or I'm sorry I spoke badly of that person, okay? So we need to do whatever we can to try to restore the truth, restore that person's reputation and restore what we have kind of broken. We wanna repair that little thread that we've snipped. Okay. Sick one. So that's all we have time for today. Next week, we're going to round off this discussion of the eighth commandment by talking about truth in the media and in art. Oh, so excited. These are like some of my favorite topics. Okay. Can't wait. I hope you have a fantastic fortnight and I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye.